looking uh, right now, I don't know, it's almost Elul, and uh, already in Talmud, those who are Darshir Shumos point out that the month of Talmud is already a time which is Mesugo for Tshuva, Zrizen Makadimin Ba'osin Tshuva, like the Svar Makadoshim say, Talmud is Roshet Tevos, Zrizen Makadimin Ba'osin Tshuva, not in order, but that's the Roshet Tevos of Talmud. And there's even a Gemara that says that it's, it's a humorous Gemara on the surface, but it's a rather deep Gemara. The Gemara says that it's better to walk behind the lion than to walk behind a maiden. Better to walk uh, behind a... Or maybe the Gemara says maybe it's better, to, it's better to walk in front of a lion than to walk behind a maiden. In other words, you have the lion behind you that can pounce you at any moment rather than to walk behind a, a lady. The simple interpretation of the Gemara is here, hure avera, but the Svar Makadoshim explained that it's better to walk in front of the lion. The mazel for the month of Av is the Aryeh, and the mazel for the month of El is the maiden, is the besula, is Virgo. And so it is better to do tshuva, bizrizen magdimen, and to do tshuva before the Aryeh than it is to be walking behind the maiden. So it's a time to start thinking about tshuva, and uh, I thought that. Maybe we would learn, um, and some people expressed interest, that we would learn some of Rav Cook's teachings on the Indian of tshuva, specifically the Sefer Orsa tshuva, but as a somewhat of a hakdama, a remarkable piece of Torah literature, can be found in the Sefer Igras Raya, Rav Cook's letters, in the second chilek, in uh, letter 378, Shin Ayin Ches. The letter was written in 1911 in Tafresh Ayin Aleph, and it was written to Rav Yaakov Moshe Charlap. Rav Yaakov Moshe Charlap, of course, was the Talmud Chaver of Rav Kook, a very dear friend of Rav Kook, who um, in many ways saw Rav Kook as his Rebbe, and in other ways saw Rav Kook as somewhat of a soul brother, a kindred spirit. And in 1911, Rosh Chodesh El not too far away from where we are right now, Rosh Chodesh Elul, Rav Kook penned the following letter. Now what's remarkable about this letter, and we're going to read it, or some of it, together tonight, is that this letter was written 14 years before Rav Kook published Oros HaTshuva. The Sefer Oros HaTshuva, which we may uh, get into, we'll see what happens. Um, the Sefer Oros HaTshuva is somewhat of a composite Sefer that uh, comprises three prakim that Rav Kook wrote kind of in one shot. What I believe, although I do not have any clear verification, is what Rav Kook is referring to here in this letter when he refers to the Igras HaTshuva, the Igaris HaTshuva. He's referring to some letter of Tshuva that he wrote and that he's very excited about publishing. And I believe that he's referring to the first three chapters of what would eventually become Oros HaTshuva, much of which the end of Oros HaTshuva was, which was certainly, it was published in his lifetime, was gathered by his students, by the Harav HaNazir, Rav David Cohen the Nazir, as well as the son of Tzvi Yehuda. And so what's remarkable about this particular letter is that Rav Kook is already in the year 1911, even though the Sefer wasn't published until 1925, Taf Reish Pehei, Rav Kook is already chalishing about the prospect of revealing this secret to the world, this wisdom to the world. So I thought perhaps we would uh, look at some of it together. We're not going to read the whole letter, and I'm going to jump uh, right in to the second paragraph for those who are following along. So he begins with some pleasantries in the beginning, talking to his dear friend Rav Yaakov Moshe Chalap. And then he says, Al das with regard to 
your question about the Igeris HaTshuva that I've been working on, this Tshuva letter that I've been trying to write, a love letter to the Jewish people about how it is that we could possibly return to the master of the universe. Gedol l'ma'od hi lezakos l'achina u'lasdara kero'i avalafi erech gadlas ha'inyan kein rabu hamanios. I am thirsting to write this letter, to finish this project, and to be able to present this to the Jewish people in a proper and organized manner. But of course, in accordance with the greatness of the task, is simultaneously the greatness of those impediments that are getting in the way. Those who are feeling that uniquely at this time period. In accordance with the greatness of the task that you're doing at this time period in your life, that is the greatness of the impediments. So it should be a chizuk for anybody who's experiencing some sort of difficulties right now. If Cook says, what's most difficult for me, what's, what's weighing upon me most heavily, of all of the things that I'm planning to do in terms of this letter of tshuva that I want to reveal the wor- to the world, is the question of l'mechase atik, the pasuk which says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu hid certain things in the beginning of time. There were certain things that Hashem was not ready to reveal to the world right away. And Rav Kook says, I'm struggling what I'm allowed to reveal, what I'm not allowed to reveal. Very similar to what we find Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai writing in the Hakdama of the Zohar HaKadosh, on Dafid Aleph on the Beis, where Rabbi Shimon says over and over again, Vai i amra, vai i lo amra. Woe unto me if I say this secret. Woe unto me if I don't say this secret. Vai i amra, woe unto me if I say the secret. Because if I indeed reveal this secret, so who knows what over Avera, what Rashayim are going to do, and how they're going to use these secrets to misrepresent what it is that I'm saying, misrepresent how it is that a person is supposed to relate to the master of the universe based on these secrets that I'm revealing. And woe unto me if I don't reveal these secrets because they're necessary for, in the language of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, for the Chavraya, for my group of friends, for our group of people who are trying to grow together. It's necessary for the growth of my unique individual group and the community and Am Yisrael and mankind that I reveal these secrets. And Sir of Cook says that the, the biggest kasha, I need to, as if I'm trying to hit mamish like a hair's breadth of going in the right direction. I'm trying to push the envelope mamish to the very brink of what is acceptable, but I have to stop right at the exact moment. And this is such a fine calibration. I'm like calibrating to a hair's breadth, Rav Kook says. How much am I allowed to reveal to the world these secrets? Where is the fine line of that which Hashem covered over at the beginning of time, that Hashem wasn't ready to reveal to the world? Nevertheless, as Rav Kook to his friend Rav Yaakov Moshe but nevertheless, El Hashem v'yarlanu. Hashem is God, and He will, and He will illuminate for us. Bedarko derech hakodesh. Hashem will reveal to us this holy path. So he says, if you want to understand, the foundation of everything that we're going to learn about Rav Kook's Mahalach and Shuva, the first thing you need to understand, says Rav Kook, is you need to throw out anything you ever believed or thought about Shuva in the past. 
ביסוד הכל צריכה לבוא, ההסבר הכללי של ביטחון התשובה. תשובה זה סייפגארד. For most people, when they hear the word tshuva, still at a me to this day, when you hear the word tshuva, and for people who consider themselves or are attempting to be ba'alei tshuva, who think of themselves in that way, some of us think of themselves as, I was broken and then I found something, or tshuva is this heavy path of looking myself in the mirror and acknowledging my own shortcomings. Rav Kook says, the esod haklalis, the fundamental principle of tshuva, is bitachon ha Bitachon ha The fact that you can, you can bet your last dollar on tshuva. Bitachon ha means you could place your faith in tshuva. Not just because it works, but because your entire ability to serve Hashem in any given moment and not give up because of the fundamental human nature of making mistakes and not doing it perfectly. If you don't have tshuva and you don't have it in the right way, if it's just a guilt trip, you don't know what tshuva is. But if tshuva is bitachon, if tshuva is the card that you pull out, you know, I remember, like, I don't know if they had this in, in every, uh, I'm sure they had it in, in anyone who came from America. I'm not sure about our Canadian friends or our, our, our English friends. But um, in America, there used to be this thing, especially in high school, there was always, like, those guys whose fathers belonged to the Police Benevolence Association. You know, and you would get this, it meant that you made a donation to the police. And you'd get this Police Benevolence Association card that you would keep in your wallet, you know, conspicuously right next to your license in case you ever got pulled over. And when you got pulled over, you would just flash your license with the police, police benevolence thing, you know, like side by side of each other, like, oh, officer, like, was I going too fast? Police Benevolence Association, you know, like, or, or, or like you get like a special card, like my father is a physician for the police force, you know, like he saved like a cop's eye when he got like, you know, his eye knocked out or something. So. Tshuva is that bitachon card. Tshuva is the card that you keep in your wallet, that you keep in your back pocket, that you could flash at any moment to yourself when you feel like you're at the edge of your rope, when you feel like I, I'm trying this and I'm trying that, and nothing's exactly panning out the way that I was hoping it would. That's the esod haklolis, shal bitachon ha-tshuva, v'otzim ha-shalva, simchas oz. These are not words that we normally associate with tshuva. It's the, it's the otsem hashalva, it's the awesome strength of tranquility. That's what tshuva is. That's what tshuva is. I thought tshuva is like slachlanu and fasting and I'm no good. And... Tshuva is the otsem hashalva, simchas oz. Shetzrich lios mislabeshes hanefesh shal kol isha asher ora tshuva meir b'nishmaso. person needs to garb themselves in this cloak of tshuva. It's something that a person wears and is constantly seeking after. Cook says, it's also important, I want you to understand that my, my goal here is not to point out, I'm not trying to say that tshuva, that being striving for greatness, striving to be better, and striving for, for perfection when you know that you won't ever reach it, and having this tshuva card, which is basically a way of recognizing that every time there's an imperfection, that's part of the process of, of arriving at a higher version of that perfection. It's part of becoming, like Rav Cook writes in a number of places, the sode of life, that perhaps maybe one of the most, uh, the cornerstone pieces of Rav Cook's theology 
is that the reason, this is not to be understood al regal achas, but I'll say, say it nevertheless, that the reason that Hashem created the world is that Hashem is perfect. But there's an element of perfection which a perfect being, kiviyachal, is lacking. Everyone would agree that the capacity to grow is, is a positive thing. In other words, being a wise person, that's positive. So we say Hashem is chachamikol chachamim. Hashem is kind. Hashem has every positive quality. Well, growth is a positive quality. And yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, is perfect, which means he can't grow. So for Rav Kook, and again, that's why I said he can't understand this without misunderstanding it, but I will say it nevertheless. For Rav Kook, the answer to that conundrum is creation. Creation is the expression of the divine, is the expression of Hashem that is growing, that is perfecting. And therefore, by definition, is not perfect. By definition, like what the Maharal writes, that perfection is the alul. It is the created being, which by definition is imperfect. Only Hashem is perfect. And therefore, tshuva is something which the Gemara in Pesachim says predates the creation of the world. And it has to be that way. Because without tshuva, without there being this thing called tshuva, which we haven't even begun to describe what it is, without this thing called tshuva, you don't even get off the ground running. Because the esode of creation, the esode of the world, is that the bottom drops out. When the Gemara says that the world was created, the Gemara in Menachos says that Hashem created the world with the shame Yudke, with the name Yud and Hey, it's the Gemara in Menachos, not the, not the Zar. When Hashem created the world, He created the world with the shame Yud and Hey. Yud, says the Gemara, Hashem created Olam Habaleth. But this world, where we are right now, where all of us are sitting together in this world, is the world of Hey. It was created with the letter Hey. Why is it created with the letter He? So the Gemara describes the world was created with the letter He because it's built into creation that you're starting from the top of the letter He, but it's, there's like an abyss. It's wide open, ready to swallow you at any moment. The fragility of life, you don't need someone to sit here at you know, close to 9 o'clock at night at 8.47 and tell you that the world is fragile. That at any moment, the entire edifice that we've been trying to build up, our entire personality, our entire persona, our entire reputation, our entire financial structure, our entire everything could fall out in any second. And so the letter hey is completely open on the bottom and anything can attack at any moment. The entire underbelly of the world is ready to attack at any moment. Tshuva is the possibility that Hashem created prior to creation, like the Gemara says in Menachos explicitly, that Hashem created this world with the letter hey because the natural state of the world is falling down. But if a person pulls out that police benevolence association card, you pull out the tshuva card, you can always climb up to the top, almost to the chimney of the letter hay, and crawl back in the window from the side of the letter hay. That's what the Gemara says. You could, you're going to fall out the bottom. That's how it happens to everybody. I don't care what your profession is. I don't care how long your side locks are. I don't care how long your beard is. I don't care how long your tzitzis are. I don't care how square your tefillin are. How much stucca you give or how, you know, what kind of... You use olive oil for Shabbos candles every week instead of wax. You're very from. I don't care what hechsherim you use, you're going to fall out the bottom all the time. But if you strengthen yourself and you believe in the bitachon tshuva, you believe in the possibility of tshuva, then you can muster the strength, says Rav Kook, to climb back up to the top and sneak back in through one of the side windows. So tshuva... Says Rav Kook, back to the text. 
I want you to understand, says Rav Kook, that by giving you this peachy image of tshuva, that tshuva is something which, you know, it's, it creates tranquility and it gives you bitachon, it gives you backbone, it gives you resilience, it gives you all the things that we're looking for to get back up and dust yourself off after you messed up for the millionth time. Like Rabbi Zusha used to say every morning when he wake up, he'd say, Rabboni Shalom, now today Zusha is really going to serve you. And I know I said that yesterday, but today really I'm going to do it. And then the next day he would do the same thing. Because we're imperfect. So that rosy picture of reality, that tshuva is always there. That Hashem is called a salchan. A salchan with a nun at the end, a nun sofit. So, you know, in, um, in mathematics, especially in physics, I think the letter N usually uh, somehow means like the nth degree means like the, it's, a, it's a superlative. It means like to the extreme. So in Lashon HaKodesh, the nun sofit is like the nunth degree, not the, not the nth degree, the nunth degree. Moving something to the, you know, and, and nun has that kind of, even the shape of it. You know, it's like the stake in the ground. It has this long kind of like staking its ground. So, for example, if I steal something that I did an act of gezel, but if I do it all the time, if I make it more than a habit, I make it a profession, then I become a gazlan, right? If I learn Torah once in a while, so then I'm lomed Torah. But if I do it all the time, I'm a lamdan. If I make a joke once in a while, uh, you know, so I, I make leitzanus, but I become a leitzan, a clown, a professional joke maker. If I put the nun at the end, that makes the word like definitive to the nth degree. So Hashem is called, in the liturgy of the high holidays, Hashem is called a salchan. Meaning Hashem's job is to be a salchan. Hashem is always ready to the nth degree to always let you start again. But that, says Rav Kook, is not trying to create a reality where it's mefir yira, where it's somehow... Um, it somehow unties. To be mefir means to, to, to unbind, to somehow make less potent the, ko- the koach of, of Yiras Hashem. Rav Kook is, not, is, is just warning us here, I'm not just a hippie rabbi who's coming to tell you, like, Hashem loves you, it's all good. My goal here is not to be mefir ha-yira, chalila, chalila. Ve'ineno my goal here is not to undermine all of the previous works that came before me. The works, you know, like the story that there was one time the Gro was once giving a shir, and he was studying the Sefer Reishas Chachma, which is a Musr Sefer, but it's a Musr Sefer that's laced with a lot of Kabbalistic uh, language and imagery. And they were learning a particularly heavy section of the Sefer that was talking about some of the, you know, maybe less, less uh, you know, exciting parts of Scharva Onesh in the world to come, of reward and punishment of the, of the recompense of the world to come. And it got so scary, the description that the Gra and the way that the Gra was saying it over, you know, that, the guy, that one of the guys was there just like passed out. And when he came to, he said to the Gra, like, not really, right? And the Gra was like, no, really, you know? So all of those descriptions, says Rav Kook, the Mechilas covered all those descriptions of Yira Tata. Rav Kook once wrote in a letter to somebody who suggested Khalila. You know, this is in Yana Dioma Shmita. It's in the Igros Raya also. Rav Kook once wrote a letter to somebody, a Talmud Chacham, who had written a letter to one of the Yishuvim saying that because you're being lax in the laws of Shmita, it was like a not religious Yishuv, it wasn't like Ehter Mechira, like they weren't keeping Shmita Bechlal. Because you're being lax in the laws of Shmita, so that's why Hashem burnt down your farm. Something ridiculous like that. And Rav Kook wrote back to this Talmud Chacham, who was a Talmud Chacham, he knew Torah, but 
you know, there's, there's, a, there's four chalakim of the Shulchan Aruch. There's a fifth chalak of the Shulchan Aruch that they don't teach you in, in rabbinic school. Usually you learn that from your parents. It's called like menshelchkeit or something. So he said to this, he said, you know, to this rabbi, he wrote him a letter and he said, the lowest form of serving God is the form that you're trying to present to these people. Is it any shock that they're not on board with your agenda? Like you're giving them the lowest form of, not that it's not, it doesn't, it's not, there's no scharva onish, it's real. There is such a thing as reward and punishment, but you're, you're, you're like, you know, underhand lobbing them like the least theologically respectful. Motivated. Yeah, and, and true, it's not true, meaning you're giving them like, you're giving them something so babyish. And so, is it any wonder that they're not on your... So if Cook says, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to take away from that. I'm trying to build on top of that. I'm trying to build on top of that. In fact, I remember many years ago, my father uh, pointed out to me, I don't know if he heard this from somebody, or this is his own chiddush, my sense is that he heard this from somebody. Um, there's a line from Rav Hutner in one of the letters that Rav Hutner, who was in some ways a Talmud of Rav Cook, Rav Hutner wrote to, uh, to one of his students, that, uh, like a pitgam, like a, a statement, he said, if a person has yira without ava, so there's certainly a lack of love in their relationship with God or, or with, with a spouse or, you know. Yira without ava, is, there's a lack of love there. But ava without yira is nothing at all. There's no baseline. I, mean, I love you so much, but I don't respect you. I don't have a, a basic, you know, offer you. I don't stand back and appreciate you on your own terms before I start adding on all my... Yira always precedes Ahava. So if Cook's saying here, I'm not coming to take away Yira Tata. Yira Tata meaning the baseline Yira. So my father always likes to point out that Yira has to come before Ahava. And this is very much in his vein, my father's uh, uh, way he appreciates these types of illusions. If you take the word Yira, okay, here, yeah, have a... Take the word yira for all our friends watching at home, and you, you make that the, the, first, the first line of defense. Yira. Let's see how clear this will be for you. So if yira is on top, and you basically make yira the first step, and then number two, you add to yira, you add ava, okay? So then you're in business. Because the two of them can work together, right? So you have yira like this, and ava like this, and you have yira like this, and ava like this. Clear? You see that? Mm-hmm. Right? Stacked. Stacked. It works in both. In other words, it's falush, as we would say. It's, it's mishulav. The two of them, they intersect with one another. But if you try to put ava before yira, and you try to make ava lovey-dovey without having basic respect for the for the institution of the marriage, of the religion, of the job that you're doing. And it's all just, you know, all good. So then it's not intersecting. And there's a fundamental flaw in, in the relationship. So of course, I'm not here to undermine the yuratata. Adraba. Oru marbez akoach hatimtsas yishel hazihirus vazrizus hanishmatit. The tamtsis of zihirus and zrizus. The, the possibility of being a person who is, here he's most certainly uh, referencing the Sefer Mesil Sisharim, which begins with this ladder, this stepping stone of beginning by first being Zahir, and then Zariz. Zahir 
being careful to make sure that I'm not going in the wrong direction, yira. And then zariz means to be alacritous, to, to be speedy, to jump at opportunities to do something, to try to fill a void when there is one. Uh, basically, zahirus is sor is staying away from evil, is making sure that I have the proper borders and guidelines, making sure that I don't go a step out of line. And zrizus means that once I have you know, everything kind of set up and the borders are very clear and I have a large gate that's making sure, like a muscle that I once heard from a very uh, fine educator that he was explaining to a group of teenage boys. He said, if I would give you a basketball and tell you to have a, play a game of basketball or name the sport, whatever it is, on a rooftop of a skyscraper, so if I would put proper borders around the edge of the skyscraper, you'd be very comfortable. You'd run all over the place. You'd run full speed. You'd just bump into the borders and zero. But if there were no borders, you'd all be huddling in the middle the whole time. You wouldn't be able to have any fun. In other words, the borders, the, the zahirus, the making sure that the gates are properly in line, are there so you could have more fun. And the, the, the representation of tshuva that Rav Kook wants to give us is a more fun version of tshuva. But Rav Kook says, but let's not forget that there's a zahirus that comes before zrizos. The imzos ha elyona shall Cook is very poetic, can I tell you? Together with this, the shining light of this most early, this, pri- this most primal kindness that Hashem gave to us, which is the Indian of Tshuva, like I said before, the Gemara and Pesachim, that tshuva comes before, tshuva is kadma la'olam, which fills every chamber of the neshama with bitcha tzuma, with an unbelievable uh, ability to trust oneself, the ability to move throughout life, to make decisions, and know that if I mess up, I'm going to try my best. And this is also a remarkable thing. This is also a remarkable thing. What Rav Kook wants to give, and this is a little bit, we haven't learned enough yet of Rav Kook's Mahalach and Tshuva, but what Rav Kook wants to share, what the Tzaddik wants to share about the Indian of Tshuva is there's a way of staying away from what's bad and doing what's good, and that's, I would say, the chitzonius of what it means to be a Jew. The chitzonius, the externalities of what it means, the trappings of what it means to be a Jewish person is I stay away from the bad stuff, stay away from cheating, I'm careful with my mouth, I'm careful with my money, I'm careful with my eyes, I stay away from the bad stuff, and I fulfill my obligations. Sashi Yatsar when I come out of the bathroom, you know, shake a lulu and esrog on sukkahs, I light Hanukkah candles on Hanukkah, I hear shofar on Rosh Hashanah, fast on Yom Kippur, I do the things I'm supposed to do, and I stay away from the things I'm not supposed to do. That's sort of cook is a very baseline. That just means you're not dead. You know? What, what Rav Kook wants to offer and what we're all kind of striving for, I would say what we're even striving for even if we're not doing those things. I mean, even if we're not doing the mitzvahs. What we're really missing, what makes a person, and this is I feel like a big, a big kind of there's a big mistake that, that people make. There, there are people who will consider themselves and say, ah, I'm not, I'm not you know, religious, or someone will say, I am religious. 
And you could have people, especially in Rav Cook's world, who say they're religious and they do all the religious trappings, but they're missing the... They're missing this behikus chesed or kadmon moles kol chadre aneshama betach atzuma atche begvur neamana bechol mole aneshama yotze shiras kodesh mekorit. But there's something missing from what I want to be doing. Now this this is the test. This is the test. The test is even if I daven three times a day, and even if I buy kosher food and I go out of my way to do all the, if Hashem would come to you wake you up in the middle of the night and say, tomorrow you can have a day off. Do whatever you want. You don't have to do any of these things. So if your instinct, if your inclination would be to say, if I could have a, a freebie, a day of, you know, of not having to do these things, so that means that on whatever level, and I'm speaking to myself as much as anybody else, feel free to push back if you feel differently, what that means on a certain level is that we're stuck in the trappings of what it means to be a Jewish person. It means that we're probably, you know, in the psychological model of, you know, core character traits. We probably score high on conscientiousness. And so because we were raised, you know, we're a type A personality, we were, we were raised doing or being told to do X, Y, and Z. And so as a conscientious person, we, uh, we kind of do what we're told. But we're not, we're not in the middle of, we're not in a love story with Hashem. We're not, we're missing this, this fundamental shiras kodesh mekorit. We're missing a, a holy song, a, a, like an like a aboriginal holy song that's coming up from the, from the depths of my stomach. And so there's an external zihirus and zirizus. There's a chitzoni way of I stay away from what I'm not supposed to do and I do what I'm supposed to do. But the, the ikr, to be a real balchuva, which is what I mean when sometimes people will say and they roll their eyes at me like they think... Uh, you know, someone will say, like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm recent Balchuva, like Balchuva, a few years, whatever. I'll say, wow, that's, like, amazing. I'm, like, still trying to get there. I'm still trying to, still trying to achieve that level. Because to be a Balchuva for a cook means to be constantly in a state of chuka, of deep yearning, of dripping with, with passionate longing to achieve perfection, even though that I know that I'm, I'm not there yet. It's not about what I do or I don't do, how many boxes I'm able to check off on some artificial list of, you know, of all the things that I'm supposed to be doing and how many things I don't check off because I'm not supposed to be doing those things. It's about cultivating an inner yearning, an inner satiation for perfection, knowing full well that I, just as much as the next guy, am not, I'm not there. And I'm not going to get there. That's not really my job. My job is to be perfecting, to be showing after tshuva, to be finding every single day little windows to climb through even though I fell out the bottom of the hay. Now, this is so beautiful. Where if Cook says, well, we're starting to move towards the end here of at least what we'll do for tonight. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go too long, especially first, first chance to get a chance to taste. I'll know if you come back if you want to do more. So if Cook says, what is the nature of this song? This is so amazing. This is like, you know, jaw-dropping. What's the nature of this song? What does this song sound like? When the soul is singing the song, the Shiras Kodesh Mekoris, this aboriginal holy song that comes from a place that's very deep inside, that has very little to do with how much I'm doing or how much I'm not doing. So the nature of this song, says Rav Kuk, is, which is basically just a string of paraphrase from Tehillim, 
the nature of this song is Hasoleach Lechol Avonaichi. You start to sing this song. Master of the world. You are Soleach Lechol Avonaichi. You are the one who forgives all of Avonaichi comes from a lot of, 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 of transgression, of Avon. Now, I want to, at the end, let's just read the sentence, and then I'll explain the weird or the odd uh, grammatical formulation of Avonaichi. Because that's the jaw-dropping yesod of what David Melch is referring to in Tehillim, and what Rukuk is saying here. Hasoleach l'chul Avonaichi, master of the world, you forgive every time I do Avonaichi, some sort of transgression. You, you heal all of the tachluaychi from the word of, of, of chole, all of the sickness. You redeem me from the mashchis, from the destructive forces of chayaychi, of life. You are ma'atar, you crown me with chesed and rachman. Hamasbiya betov adaychi, tishadish kenesher nuuraychi. You you satiate with good. Everything that I could, everything I could hope for, my my innards, tishadish kenesher nuuraychi, and you and you renew my naarus, my youth. When I feel old and I feel stale, you renew my 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 naarus, my youth, my youthfulness. Now, the Mepharshim of these Pesukim, in Tehillim, the Mepharshim in these Pesukim explain that the grammatical formulation of Avonaichi is like a compound word. Right? Because in Hebrew, there's a word that you could say that's Avonai, my sins. Havonocheli, Havonocheli. And then there's another word, Avonaich. Your transgressions. Avonaichi is like a compound, which means my, your, our, combined. And in doing this, what Rav Kook is saying is that the song, the Shiras Kodesh of Tshuva, comes and stems from the recognition that this is not Davidal or any one of us down here in this dark world fighting this out by ourselves. But that my success and my failure and my transgression and my lack of youthfulness and my lack of being crowned with chesed and rachamim, my sickness, is not my sickness, but it's our sickness. That if I understand, as Rav Cook explains, as I, I said very before, that Hashem, part of Hashem's perfection is our perfecting, then this is not an us versus Hashem. The most immature, and I don't mean this as an insult, I just mean it as a fact, the most immature way of relating to what we're doing in this world is that Hashem put us in a rat race to like, let's see how you do. As opposed to recognizing that this is a divine story that we're fortunate to be a part of. In the words that Rav Kook writes in the Sefer Oros, and just five, five, five more minutes, Rav Kook writes, Every time the Jewish people are redeemed, every time a person's transgressions are, are forgiven, every time a sick person is healed, every time there's a geula, 
for the mashchis of chayim, of life. Every time there's satiation and there's newness that's given to something which is stale or which is hungry, that Yeshua for the, for the Jewish people, Tamidi Yeshua Hashem. Like we say on, on Sukkot, Ani Vaho Hoshiana. Ani Vaho, Ani Vahu Hoshiana. It is both I and Him together who are being saved. Kasher Padisa mi Mitzrayim Goy Velohav. When the Jewish people were redeemed from Mitzrayim, it was both a nation and their God who was redeemed. Kain He, Kol Yeshua, Gedola Shabagedolos, Uktana Shabagedolos. The greatest salvation on a national cosmic level and the most basic, smallest of the small salvation that any Jew has at any point in all of history is all a divine salvation. Hashem himself is being saved. And so the sheer HaKodesh, Mekorit of Tshuva, is the recognition, says Rav Kook, and this is what he's yearning to write. This, this Igros Tshuva that Rav Kook wants to give to the Jewish people, this secret which he's not sure, should I reveal it, should I not reveal it, is it the time to reveal it, is it not the time to reveal it? And you could see why a person would be struggling with that. Why would Rav Kook be struggling with that my struggle, my attempt to come to Tshuva is not just my attempt, but in a very almost blasphemous kind of way. It's Hashem's attempt to return. Rav Kook writes in Orsa Tshuva that Hashem does Tshuva. I mean, in Tanakh it says that Hashem does Tshuva. In Tanakh it refers to Hashem doing Tshuva. Tshuva alayva, Tshuva aleichem. Tshuva means to return to a, a state that was before the world was created, where it was clear that ain't old Milvada, there was only Hashem. For of Cook, and again, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we're really closing here. For of Cook, we'll pause here, we'll, maybe we'll finish it next time. For of Cook, the greatest Avera that was ever committed, if one could say such a thing, has this for a closer. The greatest sin that was ever created, that was ever done in all of history, was done by the master of the universe himself. Creation itself, which is called in the language of, of Kabbalah, is called the creation of the halal hapanoi, the creation of vac vacant space where God is not, or at least where God is not apparent, where there's the appearance that somehow Hashem has left this space and left us to our own devices. The fact that Hashem orchestrated such a thing called the tzimtzum, where he constricted himself and created the appearance of being absent, was the greatest covering of God's existence that could ever, no matter what Aveira you ever could do. I remember we were once talking, uh, some of us here, we were talking about somebody who was going through a really hard time and was planning out, maybe, maybe you don't even remember having this conversation, but a friend who was planning out what non-kosher food they were going to eat on Yom Kippur. And having like making a phone call about this, like to show like that's how far. You don't hold a candle, whoever that person is, they don't hold a candle to what Hashem Himself did when He created the world. Shuva is something which is part and parcel of creation. That's why it came before creation. It's a prerequisite to creation. And so where Cook wants to give us is the song of Shuva, which is to recognize that Shuva is not something heavy. Shuva, like Rav Cook said, is Simchas Oz Achayim, it's Simchas Oz. It's otzim ashalva, it's the ultimate tranquility. It's the bitachon atshuva, it's the, it's the card that you could pull out all the time and say, I am in this journey together with Hashem to come back to a place where I'm just a tiny bit more cognizant of the fact that ein od novadu kipshuto. 
Not that there's not other gods out there, you know, all these gods of the pantheon of Greece. But to know with certainty that there is nothing else in the world except for Hashem in His perfection, and that we are a chilek of that perfection. So Hashem should help us that we should continue on this holy path. If, uh, if it's a one-off, if we come back next week and there's interest again and we do it again, Hashem should help us to follow this holy path, to recognize that Hashem is a salchan, Hashem is always looking to, do tshuva, to give us this path of tshuva, and we'll be zuch to come to this place that Rav, tshuva, that, that Rav Kuk is, is, uh, is leading us to, with this, uh, with this new mabat tshuva, this new way of looking at the world of tshuva, we'll be zuch to see geula, and here we amen, amen. Das ist so